Welcome to the Prophetic Imagination Station podcast. My name is Crispin Mayfield, and I'm a therapist. I'm D.L. Mayfield, a writer and neighbor. And together we discuss evangelical artifacts from the 80s and 90s. This is season six, and we're calling it Shame Core Records. Hey listeners, it has been a month. It's been over a month, and I've been wanting to put out this last episode, which is the epilogue. Throughout the series, I didn't really talk to people that knew a lot about the scene itself. Uh, However, today, I'm going to be talking to people that know a lot about the scene. One is Mason Menenga, and he knows a lot because he is one of the hosts for the Black Sheep podcast, which is an HM Magazine podcast. For those of you who remember that magazine about Christian heavy music. I also talked with Professor Joel Harrison, who you heard a bit from in the second episode, but we have a longer interview with him and he has a lot of insights because he's writing a book about the political outcomes of the underground Christian music scene. So these men both have spent a lot of time listening to people within the scene, and I'm excited to talk to them about what they found in their reflections. Before we jump in, just want to let you know that we are starting up a new season very soon, next week. We're calling the season I Went to the Movies Without You, where DL and I take turns going to see Christian movies and then come back and talk to the other one about it. Now, when I say Christian movies, I mean a very wide range. So I saw Show Me the Father, which is by the Kendrick Brothers, which is a very pure flicks type Christian movie. Danielle got to see The Eyes of Tammy Faye with Jessica Chastain. And I'm not going to lie, I feel like she got the better end of that deal. There's some other movies coming out. There's the Jesus music movie about... um, which is about Michael W. Smith and DC Talk and Amy Grant. We're going to talk about that. There is a movie coming out about C.S. Lewis soon that we might get a chance to talk about. There's some other things that will come up along the way. And so you can be on the lookout for that. But I'm really excited to wrap up the season with these two interviews. Starting with a conversation I had with Mason Menenga. Like I said, he's the host of the Black Sheep podcast. He's also the host of a People's Theology podcast, which is conversations about theologies that inspire and liberate. He has a great Twitter follow and had some really interesting things to say about interviewing all these musicians from these bands. So, yeah, what's really been great about it, you know, we've been able to interview all these like heavy bands and all these bands that we grew up with. Uh, My -hmm. my best friend and I, who does the he's the other co-host. And we've been able to, you know, chat with all these people who really are kind of heroes of mine and to like get an insider perspective of that whole scene has been unbelievable like it in a lot of ways has like really challenged the way i think about it but in other ways it's really confirmed a lot of like ideas and theology i ever Uh had around it so it's been really interesting yeah i bet so you've interviewed so many of these bands what do you think has been the biggest what's the biggest thing that you've learned or confirmed about uh evangelicalism from interviewing these bands it's it's the one thing that has just been confirmed over and over is how how well evangelicalism was really trying to create its own culture. Mm. I mean, you see that with the you know not only just the CC, the CCM world, but like how evangelicalism in some way, shape, or form was even trying to create its own alternative underground heavy music scene and they were really willing to do that even if it meant that they were going to be alienating some of their own kind of diehard fundamentalists who were like that music is of the devil they were willing to alienate that just for the sake of creating its own culture so kids weren't listening to mashuga and cannibal corpse and you know all these other like secular mm-hmm. heavy bands um it's really, really interesting how evangelicalism in, inherently is always trying to create its own type mm. of culture. This is why you don't even just see its own hardcore scene, but you're also seeing its own music, the mm-hmm. movie production, you know, pure flicks and all those mm-hmm. movies, you know, God's Not Dead. They're, they're trying to create their own industries, their own kind of culture. Um, and that just is continually being reinforced as I interview all these bands. And... 
these bands, a lot of them, you know, they were these Christian kids listening to, you know, other Christian music, but they were not necessarily wanting to go into becoming a Christian music band or whatever. They just were mm-hmm. like in a band. It was fun. It was enjoyable. And they just kind of got narrowed into that. And the bands that like really saw the kind of, uh, the, the bands that saw the um, insanity of that were they left they left immediately they either left christianity they left that kind of christianity or they just quit altogether what do you think the motivation was for creating this subculture within a subculture is that would that be an accurate way of saying it (laughs) i i mean I, i have no idea how else you would describe that whole that whole thing um I think it comes from this tendency within evangelicalism where it's it's very different than fundamentalism. I do kind of differentiate mm-hmm. fundamentalism and evangelicalism, although I think they're very, very closely related and kind of in a lot of ways inseparable. But here's the one way that they are, there is a differentiation, is that evangelicalism, because of this sort of like impulse of of sending people out to evangelize, to get other followers of Jesus. And so I think that impulse is what really is what it's what has made evangelicalism probably the only type of Christianity that has its own hardcore music scene. For so many of these bands, whether they were from Face Down, Solid State, whatever, ultimately ended up following that path mm-hmm. of they being this really quote unquote spirit filled band. And then within years, a lot of them were like mm-hmm. atheists, mm-hmm. even. Why do you think that happened? So, I, I mean, I think there's lots of reasons, including just the music industry in general, of just being a shit show. But I do think a lot of it has to, and and this is the thing I was going to mention earlier, I think a lot of it has to do with that if one is going to make really true punk and hardcore music, which implicitly and inherently is anti-establishment, anti-status quo. And a lot of these bands, I think, if they were really going to truly appreciate the art that is hardcore music or that is punk music, they were going to ultimately have to be anti-status quo. They were going to have to be anti-establishment. And I think they realized at some point, whether unconsciously or consciously, they realized at some point that that meant that the very world that propped them up, that actually gave them a platform of evangelicalism and the evangelical music scene, they were actually going to have to be anti that. And not only that, but they also probably sensed some level of there's going to like they they were not going to be allowed to really explore in the way that art really truly forces one to explore and doubt and question and if you really truly appreciate art for what it actually is you're going to start to explore doubt question things including your faith and there is just absolutely no room for that in evangelicalism and i think a lot of them started to that 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 relationship between their art and between their faith really is starting to catch up to them. And that's why a lot of them left, uh, you know, Under Oath being probably one of the most notable examples, Zayal being another one, uh, among many other ones that, you know, I've been able to interview. And it's just been absolutely fascinating. But a lot of times in those conversations with a lot of them, that's what it comes down to, is that the art and the faith, they really recognize is incompatible. And what I've always been curious is, what is it about the art that was incompatible with that faith, that faith. And I've come to the conclusion that it really just comes down to they really appreciated the art of h- hardcore music and punk music, and that will inherently be anti-establishment. Um, that's why you don't... Here, here's what's interesting, Chris. That's why you don't see as many CCM artists and worship artists leaving evangelicalism in the way that 
bands from Tooth and Nail, Solid Saint, and mm-hmm. Face Down are. Mm-hmm. I think it's because those bands really appreciated the art for what it actually was versus when you're in a worship band, your 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 role is not to appreciate art. It's just simply to sing songs mm-hmm. together. Yeah. There's so anyway, I, I find that that, that that I think that's why you start to see like if you really looked at the trends, if you're able to uh-huh. do a survey, you really see a, a much higher percentage of people from that tooth and nail and solid state and face down world leaving evangelicalism much more than you would see from the CCM or worship. I mean, you think about like a band like me without you, this is a band that from lyrically musically, I mean, they totally were fully entrenched with what punk music Mm -hmm. is all about. And there's a reason why if you talk to any Me Without You fan or most Me Without You fans these days, there really were diehard Me Without You fans. Almost none of them are evangelical. Uh, A lot of them aren't even Christian anymore. But you talk to people who are fans of Uh FM Static, right? Like FM Static was just, they were a pop punk band that was just capitalizing off of that era. They weren't really truly involved in the art of pop no. punk they or were punk good or charlotte five years and later <laughs> yeah exactly so but if you talk to any fm any diehard fm static fan they're still going through their john piper phase yeah <laughs> that being said i i am i am <laughs> oh my god are you gonna tell I, me you I, like fm I static am... I lived. I listened to FM Stack when I was ten uh-huh. and only ten. I, I, I went through like these different phases where like you go, you you're like fifteen and you're like, I don't listen. Like I don't listen to pop punk anymore. I don't listen to punk anymore. I just listen to hardcore. And then I was like eighteen and I was like. Cause I'm 34 now and I like listen to FM static and I was like, this is kind of catchy. And like, I have these, like, I just, I like things that are poppy and I like things that are heavy. And so, but in sort of like a guilty pleasure way, not like a, Oh my gosh, it's amazing. Well, that's why under oath was so great is they actually had a lot of those really great right. pop sensibilities, but like in a really heavy way where you didn't feel like you were, you know, you're just throwing out your sincerity out the door or that the fact that you were mature now, you didn't feel like you were throwing that out the door, but also you could like, you know, bob your head and, and shake your ass to it. The solid state bands were, they were writing about spirituality and spiritual things. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They, they were really in it. Yeah. I was just, uh, I did an interview last week with, uh, a band called becoming the Mm -hmm. archetype. And they were on solid state for a number of their albums. I think all of their albums. And yeah, I was, I was talking with them. I mean, they were told, I mean, even the name becoming the archetype, it's all about like Jesus as this archetype and that we're, you know, supposed to, you know, follow Jesus in a way where, you know, we're, we're supposed to become like Jesus mm-hmm. or whatever, right? Like even the name itself, mm-hmm. you didn't see that so much in a band like FM static right. or whatever. Uh, you know, you know, FM Static was really just, uh, you know, Jesus is my boyfriend, but, you know, with with three with three guitar guitar mm-hmm. chords. Um, and but uh, what you know, it, it, that's an interesting question about, like, what's behind the theology of evangelicalism to give rise to something like this? Uh, so n- not to mention the the sort of contextualization of it. But I think even behind the fact that evangelicalism had this theology of contextualizing the gospel or contextualizing Christianity to different cultures, and that we were to make disciples uh, to that end. But even behind all of that is this impulse that In relate that, that Christianity's relationship to culture is not that ne- culture is necessarily evil or bad. It's sort of this morally neutral mm-hmm. ground, but that m- the mainstream culture is evil and corrupt, and that we have to create an alternative. And that if we can just create an alternative, people will consume that alternative in such a way where the mainstream will become obsolete. 
Okay, I mean, this is the whole reason for something like PureFlix. It's supposed to isolate people from the mainstream culture so that they're not engaging with it. They're not being corrupted by mm-hmm. its evil. Um, and and then also not only just to to keep people isolated, but that ultimately that culture is going to win over. Um, and that, that, that I think is also a part of that theology that evangelicalism has. And that was no different than with the Christian hardcore music scene. They saw an opportunity to create, I mean, this is where like the, the leaders or the, the sort of stakeholders within evangelicalism that saw like, oh, you know, tooth and nail and all of that as like a potential, you know, life way or whatever. As like, a okay, here, here's a market. I don't think they really understood that like the music of that market really was inherently anti-evangelical. Um, but if they did, they probably would have never bought into the whole mm. tooth and nail thing. Because at the end of the day, they would realize that like, okay, these bands, this music is really going to undermine what we're up to. Because at the end of the day, their culture, the evangelical culture is supposed to win out. Um, and it's supposed to isolate people. And what it, the tooth and nail thing ultimately did wasn't at that at all, because again, it had this, this punk element to it that really continued to undermine the evangelical part of it. And that was, you know, when you were listening to a band like Amberlin, ultimately you're going to really like Amberlin, but then you're going to go on to listen to a band like, I, I don't know, uh, Radiohead or a band like, uh, you know, a similar band, like maybe uh, Jimmy Eat World or something, right? Uh, you're going to be listening to other bands like it and appreciate them. And that's exactly mm-hmm. what happened to me. Like, you know, I was listening to all these Tooth and & Nail and Solid State bands and was only listening to them. But then, you know, my curious mind was like, well, what else is out there that's like them that would be really good and interesting? Or you go to, to a show to. and you hear other bands that they're touring with. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And you just, again, there was like it, it, the tooth and nail world wasn't as isolated as evangelicalism would have liked it to, because that whole culture is supposed to be as isolated as possible. That's why like you listen, you watch a a pure flicks uh, movie, they're not going to have non-Christian actors and actresses in those movies. Again, it is meant to be extremely isolated from the people who are participating in it to its consumers to everybody. It is meant to be an isolated culture. And that was the the thing that undermined Tooth and Nail at every moment was that it was not isolated in the way that it was supposed mm-hmm. to be. Also, it's funny that uh that who knew back then that Five Iron would be the 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 uh like the, the band that would be, become the most like politically explicit like progressive Christian band. What a they were they were such right, an yeah. oddball. They were so, even even at their height, even like when they first came out, they were such uh-huh. an oddball because yeah they they caused a lot of you know you know ska was becoming a big thing, and you know they really capitalized on that really well, but they were such an oddball in that they were so political about things that evangelicals evangelicals were not normally political mm-hmm. about at that point. And that was what was really weird about them. And they sort of defy everything about right, yeah. that whole thing, so true. that whole culture yeah. right. in every way. Like it, it's one of the, like we can keep talking about this in generalities and at every point, Five Iron Frenzy is going to be uh-huh. the exception to the rule. Just like Quakers are to Christianity. You can talk about generalities around uh, you know, around Christianity and Quakers always are going to be the exception of the rule. That's what Five Iron Frenzy was always to that That's whole Christian so music true. scene. That's a really great way of putting it. One thing that that really struck me uh, around, and, and maybe this, maybe this is just the specific bands that I listened to, but you mentioned like Piper, um, and there was this melding of the Calvinist themes of evangelicalism that that are very evangelical, just more pronounced in in uh, you know like right. Piper Reformed churches. Um, there was like this integration of that. I don't know if that's something that pretty like widespread, or if I was just drawn to certain bands that talked about those things. <sighs> I don't know if it was necessarily as widespread, but it was very pronounced in the bands that 
really, really seem to care about their Christianity. You know, you think about like face down bands, especially, you know, those were bands that were quote unquote, not even just the hardcore Christian hardcore bands. They were the Mm -hmm. spirit filled hardcore bands, which is interesting that they, a lot of them were kind of this like John Piper. They had this John Piper streak streak because they were very charismatic too, which is not John Piper at all. John Piper's very anti, you know, charismatic gifts and everything, which is really interesting. So, but it's very interesting uh, that there is this kind of like, neo-reform streak within a lot of these bands, but yet a lot of them also were very mm. charismatic. Uh, so it's interesting to see like that kind of dynamism happening uh, within that. But yeah, there was this like clear division between the bands that were like very into their Christianity and so much so that they, you know, would write stuff about John Piper or whatever, or, you know, write, you know, very like reformed Mm -hmm. kind of songs. And and those bands that were just like, you know, they were, they were Christian. It mattered to them, but like, they were still going to sing about their girlfriend. Um, and then you had bands like, you know, showbread, which were like anti John Uh Piper, but like also really cared about their faith in the same way that the pro John Piper neo-reformed bands were. So it's really interesting to see kind of like this, this sincerity around their faith. Uh, A lot of these bands had such a sincerity around their faith that they were talking about things that were really hot topics. You know, you know, John Piper's heyday was right at the time that tooth and nail was in its heyday. Those early Mm -hmm. two thousands, mid two thousands. That's when, John Piper was selling his most books and that's when, you know, those bands were at their height and that's what they would have cared about. So the bands that really cared about that kind of stuff, uh, you know, that that's, it, it makes sense why they were in their neo-reform days because that was the height of that, you know, Mark Driscoll, John Piper, Gospel Coalition. That was the height of their, their era. And so it makes sense, like, you know, they kind of coalesce together and right. it makes sense how they would, you know, those bands would therefore, you know, talk a lot about their faith in, in the ways that John Piper would mm-hmm. right. yeah. express. Well, well uh, so I've heard Peter Rollins talk about this before, that the people who leave religious traditions are not the ones that didn't do good or didn't like that weren't the most religious in that religious tradition. In fact, it's just the opposite. The people who leave and deconvert from religious traditions were the ones that were the most religious in that religious Mm. tradition. And I think that's absolutely spot on. The people who leave evangelicalism were the people who were actually remained pure Mm. until marriage. The people who actually listened to Christian music, the people that, actually were, you know, reading their Bible every day. Those were the people who actually ended up leaving because, and this this is Peter Rollins' whole, you know, psychoanalyst thing, is that they saw that the thing that was promised to them actually doesn't exist. So all this energy and effort and work that they put in to get to the thing that was promised to them actually didn't exist. And that's why they ultimately leave. Um and so the ones that actually are putting all this energy and effort and work so much so that they're above all the other people who are just saying that they are, those are the people who end up leaving that religious tradition. And I think he's absolutely right. And that's where, again, you see these like bands that were so sincere about their faith. They were the most conservative. They were the most neo-reformed. And then like something snaps in them and they realize, oh, the thing that was promised to us about this doesn't actually exist. And they end up leaving Christianity or they leave evangelicalism mm-hmm. at the very least. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think, yeah, yeah, because you can either you can feel like I'm not doing this right or you can be like, no, I am doing this right and it's not working. So then you move on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that was my that was my own experience of it. it. Just like it just did not work anymore. Like I like what I was feeling in my body with purity culture just was not working anymore, and I needed to find something else. Uh, and I did for you know, fortunately, was sort of this more progressive Christianity, if you will. But like that, that's exactly what was happening for me too. Like I just was not finding what I actually was actually working anymore. Um, But there is like kind of this moment that like needs to happen. This like this thing that just like snaps you into like this actually Mm -hmm. doesn't work. 
the thing that was promised me is doesn't exist and that this is not working for me more. I think there is like tip, there is like normally there's like a moment typically. I, although there are people who like sort of very gradually get to that point. I think there in general usually is this like moment of like whether they're, you know, they're they're kicked out of their school or they're outed or whatever it might be. Like there's this moment usually that's right. like that changes the the trajectory for them. And that that was certainly was the case for me. And it seems to be that way for a lot of these bands. There was this, these moments that happened, these very distinct mm-hmm. moments. Like one of the things that I have found too is like how many of these bands were like secretly really mm-hmm. political or something. I, I you know, again, I was I was talking with uh one of the members from Becoming the Archetype and 13 or 14 years ago they went on tour with the chariot which is my favorite band of all time the most important thing of my life and i've always respected josh goggin because i think he just truly he's an artist at heart everybody i've ever talked to that knows josh really well they just like he literally Mm -hmm. is just an artist at heart it's all he ever cares about it's all he'll ever do is some sort of form of art and one of the things that this guy from becoming the archetype was talking about was you know again this is like 2007 or something like that maybe towards the the tail end of the Iraq war. And Josh was talking to him about like how he thought this was a total bullshit scam that we shouldn't have like gone into the war and that like Bush is actually like not a good guy. And, and, you know, granted, like Josh Goggin was never going to talk about that in his lyrics, but like, again, you talked to a lot of these bands and they were like Hmm. secretly not full on evangelical in the way that they were supposed to. Uh, and again, I think it just caught up to him. And that's got to be the case for me without you. I think me without you is a very obvious case. Like, yeah. at no point was Aaron Weiss like as evangelical as evangelicals wanted him to. Right. And that's why like none of them. I don't even know if like any of them identifies Christian anymore. I don't yeah. know if Aaron does. Before we go to the interview with Joel Harrison, just wanted to let you know about our Patreon community. This month, Danielle and I are going to be listening and talking through DC Talk's classic or maybe not so classic album, Jesus Freak. If you want to listen in on our conversation on that album, you can become a Patreon for $1.50 a month, $4 a month, or $8 a month. No matter what, you get the same things. Just a way to support the podcast and also have some fun extra conversations. All right. So I also talked with Professor Joel Harrison. He's a professor of religion, and he's working on a book right now on evangelical political identity and underground Christian punk. So he's looking at how leftist punk aesthetics were fully embraced in some circles and pushed evangelicalism in a more progressive direction, kind of like what Mason said. But then in others, punk was repurposed for more conservative political ends. By the way, he mentions Mars Hill and Mark Driscoll, but this interview happened last February, long before CT's podcast. Something that's not covered in CT's podcast is that Mars Hill had some huge connections to the Christian hardcore scene with bands like Thrice and Emery and others. There's a whole history there, and there's a great article on it from Seattle's Alternative Magazine. I will put that in the links. Anyway, here's the conversation DL and I had with Joel Harrison. It, it's been very interesting to talk to all of these people who are former tooth and nail musicians and to see where they are politically and both in terms of like Christianity and so forth. Like Mark Solomon is like considers himself a full blown communist, mm-hmm. um, you know, which is interesting, but he still is a Christian. He also considers himself a Christian and a lot of the way that he talks about his faith is still very evangelical in a lot of ways. Like he uses a lot of the evangelical language to talk about Christianity. Um, Matt Morginsky is a pastor in Colorado, right? Which is not Mm -hmm. that surprising. Given that Supertones, yeah, yeah, he's the lead singer of the Supertones, which were like the most Christian band by far on, um, on Tooth and Nail. But, you know, and he, he is conservative theologically, but also is like, you know, I think, 
more, I guess, maybe center right or centrist when it comes to a lot of political things. And he was really interesting to talk to as well. Um, I think that it is, it is largely a mixed bag. I mean, a lot of people that I interviewed see themselves as more progressive, Mm. I think, politically. But there were people who who don't. Um, you know, I interviewed a, a pastor of a church uh, in like eastern Tennessee, like on the West Virginia border, like the heart of Trump country, um, who listens to 90 pound <laughs> wuss every day on his way to church, you know, and stuff like that. And no, like he, you know, no one else in his congregation, like that's a side of him that they don't ever really get to see, you know, and he, we, we talked a lot about sort of the I, I think that I think that the music, regardless of where people get put politically, de- it definitely it, it always forces them to realize or think or see that there are other expressions of faith that are possible. So I think that's that's always sort of the starting point is that when they first discover this music, they're like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know that Christians mm-hmm. could do this. Right. And then that kind of opens them up to something else. Now, what I, you know, sort of where I'm going in the book is to say that that kind of search for authenticity, authenticity is really like kind of the main concept that I'm working with in the book, um, that that produces an apolitical politics. Oh, unpack that. Um, that you, you come to see yourself as like neither this nor that. Right. And because of that, I transcend these divisions. And therefore, that that makes me the most true to myself, the most authentic self that I can be. And that's what I just need to always pursue. And so I think that 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 kind of individual authenticity that so many people who listen to this kind of music kind of find themselves pursuing um, really limits their ability to engage in collective wow. action. So um because yeah, because they don't, they they are very wary of any anything that seems like groupthink or isn't like an expression of their authentic self. Hmm. So there's this, it's uh, it's a way of like American individualism showing up. Yeah, in a sense, I mean, there's it's it's complex. I mean, I think that there's three different senses of authenticity that are sort of at work. There's one is is in the music itself, right? People are drawn to this music because they see it. They see CCM as this fake like machine that just pumps out this Christian garbage, right? Whereas they saw, at least in the beginning, <laughs> Tooth and Nail and, and that the independent scene as these people j- want to make art, right? They're trying. They're making music that sounds good, actually, and is not being restricted in any way by some, you know, CEO of some label who says that it, it's too harsh for Christian listeners or some, like, make it as harsh as you want, mm-hmm. right? It, so there, there's that part of it, that there's a sense that, hey, these people are, in many ways, are putting the music first, um, you know, and they want the music to be good, right? For the most part, there are definitely some exceptions mm-hmm. there. Um, and, and that is, you know, that goes hand in hand with the, the so-called secular punk scene as well, because I think that there is also a great desire there for authenticity, right. And being true to who you are and expressing yourself, um, in whatever way you think is good, right. That's, that's also a core part of punk identity in general, but then in the Christian, uh, context, um, it gets, twisted a little bit right so there's there's the the other two aspects are really intertwined a kind of religious authenticity and then an authenticity of self which kind of brings everything together so in the religious authenticity i think that we see this so much in evangelical language whether it's conservative or progressive right it's this idea that i just follow jesus mm-hmm. right Whatever Jesus says, that's what I do. And, and it doesn't, you know, Jesus isn't a Democrat or a Republican. He's just Jesus and I follow Jesus. But that, I mean, that statement itself has no 
content, right? To say that I just follow Jesus. Okay, well, what does that mean? Right? Because, um, you know, I, I said this on Twitter the other day when people were talking about, uh, Sean Fucht or Foyk. But people were, you know, really, a, a lot of people look at someone like that and say, he's not a real Christian because blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, no, I mean, he is because he, he has reasons for why he thinks he's a Christian, right? And he claims Christianity. And if you say that he's not a real Christian, right, that just, that allows you the opportunity to kind of sweep his terrible brand of Christianity under the rug. Um, uh, and, and so that, and, and that, you know, to, to tie that into what I'm saying about authenticity, right? He thinks he's following Jesus, right? He also says he's following Jesus. It's just the content of that for him is I'm going to hold super spreader events, you know, in major cities across the United States and kill as many people as I possibly can. Well, can I, can I push back a little bit on that? Because I think this will tie into what you're saying about tooth and nail authenticity. Sean Foyt does believe in his form of Christianity, but he wouldn't be doing this if it didn't make him mm -hmm. money. He's making a ton of money. Oh, and sure. so I think there's an element of yes. that within tooth and nail. There's an element of that. And even as you're talking about authenticity, it's like, well, it's hilarious because Brandon Ebel has to say, you can only do this or this to get in the Christian bookstores. You know, there's always gatekeepers and there's always money that is behind yeah. so much yeah. of this. So like, I'm fine with being like, Sean Foyt yes. is a real Christian. I don't actually think he believes in Jesus at all. I think he's like, I'm a Christian and this <laughs> is extremely lucrative to me. So I will do it. Yeah. Yeah. Hot take I from think that, you know, the religious, the, <laughs> no, no. I think that, that I, I think that that's fair. I mean, the religious studies scholar in me, right, is I'm always pushing my students to not disavow oh, right, right. The I'm bad, we're connected. Yes, the we're bad connected. versions of their religion, um, you know, and, and to, to instead say like, okay, I maybe don't agree <laughs> with this at all, but I want to try to understand like, what is Christianity doing in Sean Foyt's like uh, operation here? Like, how is that term being deployed how is he using it how how do other people understand it right and, and so on and so forth and and i think that to a, a large degree that's that's what i'm doing in in the book too is kind of trying to trace or track how christianity gets understood in the context of this um this music but but yeah there's so there's this sense this kind of religious authenticity that um that I'm just going to follow Jesus. And then that gets heightened even more when it's sort of combined with this idea that, I mean, Brandon Ebel is sort of famous for saying that in the early days, tooth and nail was too punk for the Christians and too Christian mm -hmm. for the punks. Right. And that's a, the same sort of uh, authenticity sen sentiment that I'm talking about here. Right. Is that they were just, they saw themselves as we're just doing us. Right. And both sides hate us. Right, both sides reject us, and that's how we know we're doing mm -hmm. something right. Ooh, yeah. Which sounds very right. familiar. Sounds very familiar. Um, but there's a sort of almost reveling in the idea that Christians find that the more conservative Christians find punk Christianity shameful in some way. Like that's a good thing. If everyone's parents were just like, Oh, you listen to Christian punk? Well, that's great. I love that for you. You know, I don't, mm -hmm. maybe it would not have taken off, right? There's some element there. Um, there's some draw to this idea that like both sides hate me and that's how I know I'm doing something right. And the thing is, is that that was the same attitude of Mark Driscoll mm -hmm. and Mars Hill, right? I mean, Driscoll saw himself as this kind of bad boy of Calvinism, right? In the mid two thousands. And he, he really, it comes across a lot in his books that like, you know, he'll see, he'll say things like that. I know these people are going to hate this, but I'm going to tell them the truth. Right. And he, in his sermons and everything, he's like, this is going to make a lot of people mad, but I'm going to say it anyway. Right. There's this very modern notion of authenticity there. That's built on, uh, a hunger for shame, <laughs> right? So that, so that you can know that you're being as authentic as possible. How does this impact the evangelicals politically? So I think that, I think that, yeah, there's a, there's a great, uh, you know, there's, there's kind of this identity within tooth and nail fandom that really revels in being the middle position, hmm. the apolitical position, as if that's somehow the most radical position. 
right? So in these fan groups, People occasionally can't see Danielle scowling yeah, over a here. Very intense scowl. Like okay. Yeah. So you know, in these in these Facebook groups, sometimes something political will be posted. Um, most recently, there was a lot of debate over, I guess, Project eighty six or Andrew Schwab, who's the only like original member left, who's like a cons- very conservative douchebag guy um now or maybe always i don't know i never listened to product project 86 they were too like new metal for me or something but um anyway yeah the, he was there doing like a concert an in-person concert that's like safely distanced and everyone has to wear masks he's charging like 250 dollars a ticket what because of how few pe- yeah uh-huh. because of how few people can go into the venue because of social distancing and so people are debating this right and you see in the comments people kind of coming out of the woodwork to say like, you know, to be like, no, like both sides are wrong (laughs) here. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, both sides are not wrong, but there's this very strong (laughs) desire among some people to, to kind of play this middle role because they see, they, they, it's almost as if they, they think that they have, you know, the other two sides sort of figured out that they can see through both of them and that's what leads them to this higher position of, I'm just not going to do anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so interesting Which, because yeah. like I'm in the Five Iron Frenzy group, you know, and this uh-huh. summer we were involved in some of the Portland protests. And I just mentioned something like, hey, anybody else have the song Riot Gear in their head when they're getting teary ass by the feds, you know, and like the <laughs> comments really got a little out of control. And then the moderator had to shut down the post because people were be- being so mean to me. And they were like, I'm sorry, we don't do political posts in here. And I was like, I'm sorry, life is political. La, la, what la. are they saying now after Five Iron's new album came out. That's the thing. It's like, but Five Iron I mean, has like always been the political. Most political Christian album and I'm, like ever. I'm not, and I'm not like calling out the admins because I think they're just the members of Five Iron Frenzy and they probably just don't want to deal with how awful some of their fans are. And yet at the same time, I'm like, yeah. that's not a position that's going to work going forward. And, you know, Reese no. did comment and be like, good for you. We support, you know, we support y'all protesting. And it's like, yeah, yeah, you just need to say that over and over and over again. So there there are some bands like very early on, like um, the band Crash Dog comes to mind. They weren't on Tooth and Nail. They predate Tooth and Nail, but they're very leftist band. Um, and when you go back and look at their lyrics, it's like, whoa, this is like, it's very political, very leftist. Uh, even Squad 5.0, to a certain extent, in their early records, you have songs that are... Um, that are critical of, uh, you know, sort of uh, American nationalism. Which is interesting because they didn't come from the West Coast where the rest of the people were, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah. that's interesting to me. Yeah, Yeah, right. I mean, yeah, and I do think that that is a big part of it. A lot of these bands, they're sort of like uh, an early kind of circle of bands and friends and people who are connected to each other that made up kind of the tooth and nail roster in the early days who were all from orange county mm-hmm. and san diego mm-hmm. um huh. which i i mean a lot of people around the country think of california as this like liberal stronghold but there's i mean orange county yeah, and san orange diego county. are <laughs> right. extremely conservative. let me ask you that i i have a couple of questions but one yeah. One question is why is there a significance in the supertones being the Orange County yeah, supertones? They were like so proud of that. And now we think of Orange County as like the sea of red within a blue state, right? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um God, that you know, I that isn't something that I asked that I asked Matt. I mean, they they kind of went through a bunch of there was like a two or three i think youth groups that all of these guys like were from like sort of collectively like the martin brothers um you know uh ethan luck who's in like ten thousand tooth and nail bands um and reliant k right at one point um uh yeah all these andrew schwab you know all these guys um and yeah, I mean, it, in the early days, I can't remember what the original band, the name of the Supertones was, but they were basically like trying to be a rap rock band. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then they like kind of a new metal <laughs> rap rock band. And then they became a, a ska band in instead. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I don't know what that, huh. I can't remember what that, 
the the orange emphasis on orange county is about yeah. and then <laughs> you um mentioned that the the this genre was repurposed for like conservative conservatism what did what what does that look like or what has that looked like I mean, I think the best example is is Mars Hill, um, because Driscoll, uh, you know, was in Seattle, knew knew about Tooth and Nail, um, you know, I think framed his involvement more as I'm um, just reaching out to the secular punks and you know grunge people in the Seattle music scene when he knew full well that there was already a burgeoning very successful <laughs> Christian independent punk scene in Seattle, right? So they create, uh, you know, a music venue there in the late nineties, early two thousands, um, and have bands come and play. And, and yeah, he, you know, he utilized that, that kind of identity, right? That sort of uh, authentic, I'm above the, the fray of, you know, these, factions within the church progressive conservative i don't care i just follow jesus when the reality was that he's extremely conservative mm -hmm. yeah right <laughs> raise your hand if you've been in a church where they're like we're we're super laid back we wear skinny jeans and then you get behind yeah. you're like oh no, oh, right. no. I've, I've been yeah mad. and i think that, i think that that yeah that for sure you know set a model that that absolutely mm -hmm. is still followed Today, I mean, my wife and I, when we, we lived in Chicago for seven years, um, you know, I was getting my PhD and uh, attended a church that was very much like that. We're very laid back. And then you ask them a tough question about like, mm -hmm. well, you know, well, do you, will you let gay people in here? And they're like, oh, well, you know, we all sin and, and they like, wouldn't, you know, they would never give you a straight answer mm -hmm. on the stuff that was like really important mm -hmm. actually, you know, yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I think that that, you know, um, yes. Mars Hill is the place where, where I think, you know, and they, they also championed mm. the, the kind of, or invented this uh, worship format that of, of bands where like they actually would have people form bands that would give themselves a band name that would only play together Right. And so when you would go to worship, it'd be like, oh, you know, this band is playing today. Like it was a band <laughs> that was leading worship. Mm. I remember huh. I remember that being a thing yeah. in the mid 2000s. Um, and, yeah, I do uh, remember you know, that and then yeah. kind of the culmination is you have someone like Dustin Kensrew of Thrice, who is a worship leader. Dustin was there. <laughs> yeah. And, and some of the guys yeah. from Emory. Were involved leading worship there for a while. Yeah, um, I mean, they to their you know yeah. to to their credit, they've all sort of disavowed, you know, and and owned up to the fact that yes, I was part of it. It was a mistake. I wish I hadn't. Kind of, you know, they they've they've come a long way since then. But but yeah, in like two thousand nine, two thousand ten, they were you know. This is yeah. blowing my mind, and I really think that's such a fascinating way of glimpsing this microcosm is we have tooth and nail based in seattle where this these awesome punks and then we get mark driscoll like that's so fascinating to yeah. me and i wonder if in your research you've like have discovered how you've already mentioned a few but like how many of these band people ended up becoming sort of reformedish pastors i know ronnie martin right yep. from joy electric mm -hmm. is yep. and you mentioned matt matt Morginsky, Morginsky, mm -hmm. um, in Colorado. I'm assuming he's sort of in that vein as yeah, well. Yeah, he's he's uh, he's a PCA pastor, Presbyterian Church Which, of America. So like the they more they really like to pretend that they're progressive, but they're not. Well, right? no, they're. I think that they're the more is, PCUSA is the more progressive Presbyterians. Okay, and then PCA is like they broke off from PCUSA because they were too progressive. Oh, okay, so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So have you found anybody else? Uh, Stephen Christian of Amberlin is a pastor in Florida. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, no, I mean, I have no one that's a pastor. Most, most of the guys that I've interviewed have 
either like left Christianity, like Aaron Sprinkle doesn't consider himself a Christian anymore. Um, a lot of them still do consider themselves Christian, but they, they kind of don't know like how to place themselves within Christianity necessarily. Um, interestingly, Jesse Sprinkle was, was still, uh, considered himself a Christian. Um, and, and he is, more conservative. <laughs> we had some interesting, uh, exchanges about, um, it was like sort of in the earlier days of the pandemic. Um, and we had some interesting conversations about mask wearing <laughs> and conspiracies, uh, that I was very surprised by, to be honest. It's like, don't um, follow your favorite tooth and nail people. Yeah, no, that's yeah. The, your heroes will always let lesson. you down. He's yeah. a great drummer. Yeah. Amazing drummer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking some time to talk to us about this. This is just yeah. like, you know, right up our, our alley. And feel free to send us weird research tidbits, okay. you know, like. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, Prof J Harrison. Uh, I, I have an Instagram for my um, vinyl record collection. That's kind of like okay. occupying all my time. So if you want to see uh, what what new music is out there, it's it's a lot of uh, a lot of newer stuff, but also some some older stuff too. But that's uh, yeah, you you can find that through my Twitter and, and everything. But um, yeah, Twitter is probably the main the main place to find all the hot takes. Thanks again for listening to this season. It's been a lot of fun. I hope that if you were a part of the scene that you enjoyed listening to this episode where we got a little bit more specific into some of the bands and and the history of this community. It has been a really fun season. And again, next week we're going to start up with our series about Christian movies where one of us goes to the movies without the other one and then comes back and talks about it. It's going to be a little more casual and really, really fun. This has been an episode of the Prophetic Imagination Station. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram, where DL is often talking about weird bits of Christian media. Find us on the web as well. Also, we love getting emails from listeners. You can find the links to our website, handles, and email in the description of the podcast episode. Support the show on Patreon and get monthly extra episodes on evangelical culture for as little as $1.50 a month. DL's book, Myth of the American Dream, is available anywhere you get your books. And lastly, artwork for this season was designed by Zach Bard and theme music by Forrest Johnson. Thanks for listening.